Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Good morning, everybody. How are we today? Are we awake? You guys, are, you see, here's the thing. You guys are so hard to predict because only half the room ever talks whenever I want you to talk. And like this, this week, it was you guys. Sometimes it's you guys. I get really confused. Could you guys do me a favor and half of you get up and then switch? Would that, is that too much? I don't know. Maybe it's too much to ask. I'll just move on. Hey, it's really good to be back with you. We've had a great last couple weeks doing some missions work and also being with our kids and hugging our grandbaby was amazing too. And But I know this. I know that even when we were gone, God takes care of his church. Garrett did a fantastic job last week. Chris did a great job the week before that. Isn't that amazing? I love what God is doing here and how he's just, he's calling people up and people are rising to the occasion. And Garrett, I don't know where you are right now, but you, are you even in the room? I don't know. Um, He's gone. Hey, he's skipping church. If you see him, tell him he needs to sit in here. Anyway, he's doing some important stuff, I'm sure. But here's the thing. It's just really exciting to see God's people do what God's people are supposed to do and step up and fill gaps. And yes, yes. And, and not just in this room, but also I hated the fact that we missed the 4th of July. I saw the picture. I saw all the fun. I wanted to be there sweating with you guys, but I wasn't. And, uh, and I, there are people like, amen, I was sweating, yeah. Um, but I, I, missed, I missed being here. Um, but we were doing some important things and hanging out with our family, so it's good to be back. Hey, we are going to be finishing up over this week and next week our series called The Irresistible Church. And what we've talked about are some of the, the intangible things that, that embodied the early church. What made that group of, of people different? And are there some things that maybe we can do or maybe strive to become with the power of God that we can become like those people so that we become an irresistible community like they were an irresistible community. So we talked about how they had this, the love and they were exuding the love of Jesus. They also were, they were on mission together. It wasn't just a couple people. They were on mission together and this was irresistible for them. They wanted to be involved in the the plan of God under the power of God for the mission of God. And then even a step further, we talked about how that they had a power, that the the Holy Spirit had descended upon them in Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost, and and it got wild for a while. And they were in this upper room. There was about 120 in this upper room, and and it was like tongues of fire that came down. They were able to speak in different languages and so that the message of the gospel would get out, and it confused some folks. Actually, it confused some folks. They thought maybe they had some too much Boone's Farm or something. There was like some people thought they were drunk on wine. They're like, what in the world? Some of you know what Boone's Farm is. I don't know. Some of you don't. Um, don't Google that. It's really not that important. But it's like they were really like they were so caught up in it. The people on, on the inside, they knew that God was doing something. The people on the outside, they're like, we don't know how to explain this, this power that was happening in this room. And now we're going to continue on to see some other intangible things because of all that God was doing in that moment. And again, my heart is that we would become like these people. Not under our own power, because that would be foolishness. Because if we were to just strive and do all these things, we may do them for a day, we may do them for an hour, we may be able to do these things for five minutes, but we're not going to be able to do things that that we see in the Scripture over the long haul without God's help. 
So would you indulge me just at times so we can pray, and then we'll jump right into this and see what it is that God has for us all. So let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would just fill us with the Spirit like you did at the day of Pentecost. God, that you would just stir in our hearts, that you would just fill us in in just a mysterious and wonderful and powerful way. God, bring us together if we're not together. Bring our minds and our hearts into alignment with our actions and with our words. And Lord Jesus, as we just surrender ourselves and we open ourselves up to you in this moment, God, I pray that you would speak, that you would speak through your word and the power of your word. And God, if there's anything that I've planned that is not what you have for me today, God, I just lay that at your feet and I say, just do whatever it is that you want, God. But we just are desperate for you. We need the Holy Spirit to speak today. We need the Holy Spirit to move today. God, let this not be about man. Let this be about the Spirit of God embodying and empowering the people of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week, just as Marla teased out a little bit, this week we're talking about irresistible people or relationships. So how did they live differently? It wasn't that they just believed differently. It isn't that they just had the special gift of the Spirit or gifts of the Spirit, so now they were doing this. How were their lives different? Even beyond their, their times of corporate or public worship, how were their lives different outside the walls? That's what we're going to see today. But before we get there, I want to just share with you just a, a sto- my testimony, really, At the age of 21, I gave my life to Jesus. I wasn't raised in church, and I had a lot of other church experiences growing up, but I was not a a Bible-believing, Jesus-following, you know, Jesus and Christ-submitting person. I did not have the Spirit of God. I I knew some religious facts. I had been to some religious experiences, but, but there was nothing that was happening inside of me. I was dead in my sin and transgressions. I had, I had taken part of a few services like this one, and, and I just kind of sat in the seat, and it didn't impact me, and, and I was dead in my sins until some friends of ours invited us into the church that they were starting to attend. And I knew that there was something significant because the friend of mine that I worked with, I was in the Navy at the time, a friend of mine, Brian, he was even interested in going to church, and he himself was not a church person. However, his wife was. Praise God for believing women. Amen? And so, so he was getting excited about going, and I was like, well, if he's excited about going, it can't be too bad. Maybe I'll go too. So and Marla and I would go, um, not just myself, but maybe Marla and I would go. So we tried it out, and it, and it didn't take long where we realized that there was something different about the people. There was familiarity with the songs. There was familiarity with the message, but there was something different about the people. The people made all the difference. Because the people, to me, they were different than the people I was working with, and they were different than the people that I grew up with. I knew that there was something that was different about them. And I know now the theology. Now I know now the scriptures around it. But I will just summarize and say this. The difference is they have the Spirit of God living in them. That was the difference. The Spirit of God living within a, a man or woman or boy or girl who submitted themselves to Jesus Christ and asked them, asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins, that person is marked with the Spirit of God, and that person is different. These people were different for me. They were so different for me that I didn't just want to attend. I wanted to 
see more of what was going on. I wanted to attend a Sunday school class, so we did. And we jumped into this class, and it was college and career, and we weren't in college, and it wasn't my career. I didn't know where I fit in, but I just kind of patiently waited in. And what I, what I really was drawn to was the fact that the people just loved us. They loved us and didn't even know us. They loved us, I believe, like Jesus loves us. So we wanted to stay, and we wanted to take part in that, and we wanted more of that, and we wanted more of that. And there was a Sunday morning that I was um, sitting in the pew on the left side that it would be my left from the stage, but the crowd's left side. And it was, I, don't, I have no idea what was being preached, and, and there, was a, there was a call to the altar. And as the person, uh, the man was delivering God's word and the call to the altar, I just knew that I had to go forward and, and just give my life to Jesus. And my life was radically changed that day. What brought me there wasn't the fact that there was the songs that were familiar or even, even the Bible itself at that, in that moment. What brought me specifically to that church group was people. God still uses people to change other people. God has, has been in that business forever and he will continue to be in the same business of doing that. It was kind of a surreal thing to think of, you know, giving my life to Jesus at 21, and then we just spent a week on the mission field doing mission work and sharing the gospel and sharing testimonies and, and doing hard back-breaking labor in Jesus' name, mixing concrete by hand, you know, in the scorching Dominican Republican heat in this remote village. But it was so amazing to me of, like, to think that the person that I was, but that God would use me to be able to send me, specifically just me, to a foreign country in his name to do some good work and to share the gospel and to partner with another ministry in the Dominican Republic, that God would allow me that opportunity. Like me. There's nothing special about me other than the fact that God chose me for that work. My hope is in the years in the future, whether it's next year or the year after that, when we go, that some of you experience the same thing maybe that I've experienced. You see, what I've found through my theology and my training and seminary and years of pastoring is this. Saved people are sent people. As soon as God saves a soul, he also sends them out to do other things, whether it's locally or whether it's globally like we did. But these things are so interconnected. And the people of God in, in Acts, right in the beginning of Acts, they get this up front. They don't need to relearn something. They get this up front. They don't have a lot of theology. We're going to see this in a minute. They don't have a lot of knowledge. But what they know is they've been impacted by Jesus and the others around them had been impacted by Jesus. And the people they were with helped them make sense of reality. And God used those people to develop their faith. As a pastor, let me tell you something that, that keeps me up at night. The statistic is about 10 years old, not statistic necessarily, but it's based on statistics from Barna Research. Something that keeps me up at night as a pastor is this. Barna's research, again, more than 10 years old. It's, they, they did a survey of people in the church and talking about what people prefer about church and how people view community and how people view relationships within the church. And this is what Barna found, this of American Christians, that American Christians prefer a variety of church experiences rather than getting the most out of one single church. 
that American Christians think that spiritual enlightenment comes from being diligent to a discovery process rather than commitment to a faith community and faith perspective. The research continues that American Christians, they view religion as a commodity that we consume rather than one thing that we invest our lives. And last, that American Christians are very transient that 15 to 20% of households just plan on moving, so, and they move to and fro so they never actually get embedded into a church family. These are some of the things that keep me up at night to think that people could sit in this room or they could be uh, part of our faith community, but yet only be there on the outside and really not be inside of the faith community. That we could become like these type of people who see that spiritual enlightenment is just part of a discovery process rather than a commitment to a faith community. These are the things that keep me up at night, which because we can can take part of a lot of different spiritual experiences and yet not get the brunt and the whole of what God wants us to do or who it is that He wants us to be. May we become like the people we're going to read about in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. I invite you to go into your Bible. We're going to read through verses 47, so Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'll summarize very quickly as to what had happened. Uh, in Acts 1, 8, Jesus said, you will, be my, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And and he says that this is going to happen whenever the Spirit descends upon the people. The Spirit does descend. I talked about this. In Acts 2, the Spirit descends on the group of 120. But the 120 didn't stay together in a holy huddle. Instead, they saw themselves as being on mission. They were just empowered with languages to tell other people about the gospel, which is exactly what they did. After... Pentecost, Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd because there's still some head scratching going on. People wondering what, what's happening right here in this moment. Peter addresses a crowd and he uses the Old Testament to preach a message to add some, some, some truth and understanding to, to what was happening in that setting. Not everybody understood, but we know that some people understood because there were about 3,000 people who were added to that number of the early church that day. So the Spirit of God was moving. Now we see in verse 42 what happens next. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So church wasn't just a place to go. Instead, they were these people who were the church. And now the church was mobilized. 
The message wasn't stagnant, but it was moving. And now the message of the gospel is moving forward, and it goes from 120 people to 3,000 people, and now it's impacting their everyday life. And now people are in their homes, and they're sharing meals with their, in, within their homes. They, were, they had started to do these things called agape feast, which means love feast, where they would come in, and they would actually break bread and share meals, but also take the Lord's Supper in homes. All these things weren't happening in church settings. They were just... They were also happening in homes. Now there was no wall between sacred and secular. Secular meaning outside of the faith, and then sacred meaning inside the faith. Instead, the wall is removed to where now the gospel is going everywhere, and it's impacting every part of their life. It's, a, it's, a fact, it's affecting their, their social life, allowing people in to their life. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Well, why? Because there were many wonders and miraculous signs being done by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. It's not because they rooted for the same team. How fun it would be right now to to create rivalries between Cardinal fans and Cub fans right now. It'd be awesome, which Cardinals are awesome, by the way, just so you know. I, just, I, had to kind of, I know, I know, I know. I just had to put that out there. I love you. I'm going to convert you, but I don't want you to know that, but it's okay. But they were all together, and they had everything in common. Did that mean that they, that they shopped in the same place, and they ate the same food, and they liked the same team? They're, no, 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 no. But they had everything that mattered. They had it all together. Everything that mattered. What they were embodying is, is this truth, that the church that Jesus died to create, it breathes life and hope into the hearts of lonely, confused, marginalized, and hurting people. They were these people who had been invited into the family of God. And this is what they had in common, that the gospel was alive in them, the spirit of God was alive in them, and now they're on mission for Jesus, and they loved to do missional work. They're all in it. There's no divide. The gospel had changed their life, and they wanted the gospel to change other people's lives as well. Some things, I think, that will help us to to kind of take a look at this and say, okay, well, if we're going to become these irresistible people, what are some foundational things that we see in their lives that maybe could transfer into ours? So the first one is this. What made them special is is being loved and accepted by God. What made them irresistible, there are three things ultimately, and there's a lot of others too, but just three things that I'll just bring out today. But the first one worth mentioning is they were they're being loved and accepted by God, which means that they didn't have to create rivalries in the church. They didn't have to compete or compare with somebody else to make them feel significant because they knew that they were significant in God's eyes, and that was enough. It was true then, and it's true today. 
oh, church, let us not become people who think that we need to create rivals just to, to try and compete and compare what we have or how much we know or the giftings we have. So that way we make, it makes ourselves superficially feel better because we're comparing ourselves to somebody who we, who we think is lesser than. That's not of the gospel. That's of the enemy. Instead, let us be irresistible people like the early church of knowing that they were being loved and accepted by God. That they're in the family of God. That there was nothing that they did under their own power to deserve a seat at the table except that God allowed them a seat at the table. Interesting thing about tables. So when Marla and I uh, got married, one of the gifts we got when we got married, we basically started out with a bunch of hand-me-downs except a couple new things. And one of the new things my mom bought us was a kitchen table. And it, I remember it very well. It had a glass top, which meant it was dirty all the time, basically. Um, it's, it's just true because if you clean the bottom of it, and then, like, I get, like, OCD. You clean the bottom of it, and, like, it leaves a residue on the bottom. So, oh, it cleaned it, and now you have stuff on the bottom. Some of you already know the hack for this, and you'll tell me later. I know, I know. I didn't know it at the time. So the table would be dirty, like, all the time, even if you wiped it down, and I'm just get OCD about it. But here's the thing. It was like a... It, I, I'm just being real with you. It's all. So it had a glass top, and it had like this black wood trim over the top of it that held the, the glass in. And then it was held up by metal, and, and then it had the Allen, the Allen screws that hold it together, which means it was loose all the time. That's basically what that means. Because back then, the Allen keys, if you turned it in all the time, what happens? It would just strip out. Some of you, some of you know, you, like, you turn it in, be like, hey, it's good and tight, and then... Oh, it just keeps going, and then it's done. It was this table. It, it seated four, but it was enough at the time because there was only two of us. But as our family grew, we knew that we were going to outgrow that table really, really quickly. So then we, we moved into a little bit larger table, but then our minds started to shift even outside of our family, and we started to think about the family of God and said, maybe our family, or rather, maybe our table shouldn't just be for us. Maybe instead our table should not just be a place for us to get to, together to have dinner, but maybe our table should be big enough so where we invite people over that they feel welcome at our table. You see, the early church, they were people of the table. There was... There was a seat for newcomers to belong and to be and to share. Notice, notice what they did when they got together. Some of my favorite things. I mean, of course, you know, they listened to good teaching and fellowship, but then the breaking of bread. I mean, hello. Anytime I hear bread, I'm like, I'm listening. All right, it's bread. I love bread. So now, in their homes, it wasn't just about their own family. Instead, it was a place to draw other families in. And now, if you were to come to our house, and some of you will, some of you already have, you will see we don't have that little table anymore because it didn't last very long. Instead, we were gifted a great big table. And it was a gift. It's a beautiful table. Because some people knew and loved us, and they asked us, how, many, how big do you want the table to be? So they custom made a table out of 100-year heart pine wood. It's an amazing table. I finished it. 
But now it's way bigger than what we ever had before. But now it's a welcoming place for other people. I wonder if your table is the same. I wonder if your table is a table where other people would feel welcome to belong. They got together and they were breaking bread. There were people inside their homes. They were selling their possessions. We're going to talk more about that next week. In this passage, in this passage rather, it says two different times that they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were loved and accepted by God and they didn't have to have pretense. They, they didn't have to be fake. There was nothing fake about it. Instead, they just said, we just want to welcome you in. Perhaps some of us are in line with this parable that I made up. It's a parable, if you want to call it something, it's this. If trees could talk like humans. The pine tree cannot say to the oak tree, why does it take so long for you to grow? Or of oak trees to the pine, your roots are so shallow, that's why you're susceptible to topple. The evergreen can't say to the hickory, well, why do you drop leaves? We evergreens remain green all year round. The hickory cannot say to the evergreen, yeah, but, it, but at least I share my hickory nuts with others. A parable to say this, if we're inside the family of God, we don't have to compete or compare our lives to someone else's to bring satisfaction to our soul because if you're in Christ, Christ is the satisfaction for your soul. That's what it means to be loved and accepted by God. A couple passages I'll, I'll add into this. These aren't on your screen. I added them later. John 5 says this, the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and will now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. These people of the early church, they're living with this reality that they've gone from death to life. They found that that is actually the most important thing for them to have gone through. And in the belongings, the possessions didn't matter because their souls were fulfilled in Christ. They were people of the table. What does this also mean? That means that the table represents hospitality. It represents acceptance. And it represents friendship. Which means something as, as simple as a baby shower or a backyard barbecue or just playing a games where you're throwing bags and you invite people over could be one of the most spiritual things you do all week. Any of those things or a bunch of other things could be some of the most spiritual things that you do all week when you invite God's people together or when you invite lost people into your home and into your life and you share those spaces because, again, there's no line between sacred and secular because if you're in Christ and you're about the kingdom of God, it's all sacred. It's just what God wants to do 
the people of God were also people not only just of the table, but also of the towel. I'll, I'll read John 13 and tell you what I mean. There were people of the towel. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Many of you know what he did next. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So they were people of the table, and they were also people of the towel, and they were serving one another. They were following in the example of Jesus. We don't know that foot washing in the scriptures, we don't know that foot washing was something they did all the time. But someone who has done some feet washing of not my own, let me tell you, It's very personal. It's very humbling. And it's very messy. But when you become a person of the towel, it becomes some of the most significant things you've ever done in your life. Because in that moment, you put yourself in a position to serve instead of just waiting to be served. I'll add more to it. 1 John 3, 16 and 18 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our life for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him or no compassion on him, how can the love of God be in him, John says? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but also, or but with actions and in truth. Second main takeaway is this. Something that that made them irresistible is this. They were being led by the authority of the scriptures and the lordship of Jesus. They were being led by the authority of the scriptures and the lordship of Jesus. When Peter got up after after the, the events in Acts 2, in, at the day of Pentecost, and, he, and Peter got up as the first among equals, the, first, uh, the, the leader of the early church in that time, after Jesus ascended and went back into heaven, Peter stood up. He didn't share opinion. He didn't get up and say, well, here's what I think happened. Instead, what he does, because he himself is now being led by the authorities and under the lordship of Jesus, he gets up and he shares the truth of God's word. This also makes for irresistible people because if I just share my opinion with your opinion, we're going to become at a stalemate really quickly and we know this culturally right now. Because everyone has an opinion and everybody thinks their opinion matters. And everybody's opinion, everybody who has an opinion thinks their, matter, their opinion matters more than ours, and they consequently think that we're wrong and they must be right. So how about we change our tactic instead of just being people who are led by opinion, instead now we take the posture and said, no, I'm going to actually be led by the truth of God's word. By the truth of God's word. In 
verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were sitting under God's word at the time. They were listening, reflecting, having community around God's word. This wasn't a time for opinion. This wasn't a time for uh, things that would be more divisive. Instead, they were sharing the truth because they were people of the truth. You see, the truth guards our message. It still guards our message today. When we share the truth of God's word, it guards our message to make sure that our message is pure. Because if I'm just giving opinion that might be a little pure, but it also may not be pure. But if we share the truth of God's word, it guarantees that it will be pure. This is really the substance of of the message that they're promoting and that I'm promoting. And hopefully you don't hear my opinion, that you hear instead something much better, and that's the truth of God's word. Third thing in this passage that sets them apart, that makes them irresistible people and irresistible relationships, irresistible community is this. It's by belonging to one another within the fellowship of believers in the church. They were being loved and accepted by God so that they didn't have rivalries at this time. Things would go off the rails pretty quickly, but in this time, they're not viewing themselves as rivalries Arrival, excuse me. They're being led by the authority of the scriptures and the lordship of Jesus. And that creates a great opportunity for them by belonging to one another within the fellowship of believers in the church. By belonging to one another. Because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the koinonia. Can be translated as partnership. Culturally, we sometimes people say biblical community. It's not really what the word means, but that's what they make it mean. Also, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were together, they were selling their possessions of goods, and they were giving to anyone as he had need. This is profound because they knew when somebody had need. They were so involved in one another's lives that they didn't have to... They didn't have a long time of delay. They didn't say, well, I don't know. I thought that maybe they were hungry, but I wasn't really sure that they were hungry. And they weren't skeptical to say, well, maybe they're hungry just because they're lazy. Or maybe, maybe the reason why they're hungry is because he could go to work but doesn't want to go to work. Or maybe, maybe it's because they're, they're just squandering their money. Instead, what did they do? They saw somebody who was in need and they just helped them. Wouldn't this make life more simple, and wouldn't this make the message of the gospel more palatable for lost people instead of us viewing people with a skeptical eye instead of, uh, and maybe just viewing them with a gospel-centered vision? I'm so glad that 
the Neil and Sally Adams, the people who made me feel so welcome in that Sunday school class back in 1996, when I gave my life to Jesus, I'm, I'm so glad that, that they didn't look at me and say, wow, man, this kid's screwed up. I'm so glad they didn't look at me and say, well, how can he add to the group? I'm glad that, that they, didn't, they didn't just kind of talk amongst themselves and just say, well, if, if he wants to belong, he's going to have to get involved. Instead, what they did was they just made sure that there was a seat available so anytime I was there that I would feel welcome. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions of goods they gave to anyone as he had need. I want to end with this story. I heard it this week. I was listening to some preaching on a run, and this preacher gave a, a great illustration. He himself is Australian, and the story actually comes from Australia and some Australian ranchers. Apparently, Chris will be able to tell you this too, I'm sure. Apparently in Australia, the ranches just go on for miles and miles and miles. And some of the ranchers were having a hard time with losing their cattle. Their cattle would just drift off and because it wasn't just measured in acres but in miles of ranches that the cattle would just wander off. So they were trying to think through, oh, how can we keep them here? So, you know, they're thinking through common ideas. Maybe we could put a fence and they're like, there's no way we could put a fence around this. Since somebody had the idea to say, what if instead of putting up a fence to keep people out, what if we just changed our tactic and we build wells to help them stay close? Instead, what we'll do is we will want them to be here because this is where the water is. So the ranchers changed their tactic. Instead of putting up fences to keep them in, instead they started digging wells knowing that the cattle were going to naturally go to the water because they desire water. Let us be people who dig wells. Who create spaces not only here, but also in our homes, in our lives, in our workplace, next to our desk, next to our toolbox, next to the water cooler at work. Let us be people who see every opportunity of our life as an opportunity where we're inviting where we're inviting other people to the well. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for accepting us in our sin and our shame and our guilt. Loving us when we were nasty with sin and indignation when we were dead in our sin. And Jesus, we so thank you for your willingness to go to the cross. Without that necessary step, there'd be no way that we could have pardon for our sins. So we we glorify you, Jesus, because... You're the one who knew no sin, but you took on upon our sin. And we 
we're ugly, we're messy, making mistakes, blundering through life. But Jesus, we also celebrate you, not just for the cross, we also celebrate you for the resurrection. Because when you resurrected, it proved that your message was true and also proves that although we may start dead in our sins, we can also be alive in you and you guarantee our resurrection. A new life, new hope, new peace, new love, new joy, new relationships. So we praise you, Jesus, for who you are in the work that you have done and the work that you continue to do.